Welcome to the Manor. Welcome to the Twin Terrors Macabre Manor of Mead, Metal, and Mayhem. I'm James. And I'm Jody. Or Seamus and Dave. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> Assholes, <laughs> we barely tolerate you with normal names. <laughs> I still haven't explained Dave yet. And, uh, no, I know. I'm, I'm, actually, I, I'm not in a hurry. <laughs> there, there may be a spot in here where you can easily fit it in. Okay. But I'll leave that up to you. And, um, and I, we'll, I, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Dave. Yeah, Seamus. What? <laughs> what do you call one of the best-selling and most noted bands of all time? Uh, Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin. <laughs> Damn straight. Yeah, Led Zeppelin's what you call them. Yeah. Yeah, they are the third highest selling band in U.S. history and the sixth overall. They had eight consecutive number one albums and nine studio albums placed in the top ten, six of those being number one. Their largest selling album, the untitled Zoso Symbols, went 23 platinum. That's 23 million copies sold, motherfuckers. And that's yep. just in the U.S. alone. And yeah. All, yeah, all the other albums were at least one plat single platinum from Coda up to the next penultimate selling of 16 platinum of physical graffiti. Yeah. yeah they broke numerous attendance records with over 200,000 in the concert audience at the Nebworth show. Yes. Our goal this time is to talk about Prezep, Led Zeppelin. Yeah. What the guys in the band were doing right up until they actually named themselves Led Zeppelin. So there'll be a bit of overlap before they were together in a band and a wee bit of when they were in a band, but not quite Led Zeppelin. Yeah. And if that doesn't make sense now, it will later. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so because we're big on context. context. Woo. <laughs> Drink. I, I did. <laughs> All I got is water. So no, maybe later. You can make up for it tonight. <laughs> yeah, and I probably will. <laughs> Because of that, we thought it'd be nice to give a, a little recap because we've talked about other bands. So rather mm -hmm. than just let them all be loose strings going all over the place, we, we thought we'd give you a broader picture and just kind of talk about what those other bands that we've already put out episodes on, what they're doing up to the end of 1968, which is pretty much what we're going to get to in this episode. Yeah. Uh, so the suite had formed this year, uh, earlier in the year, and by the end of this first year, uh, they started with the, of course, if you remember, the, the suite shop and changed the suite this year. By the end of 68, their first guitarist, Frank Torpe, had left the band, and they hadn't quite replaced him yet with their second guitarist, Mick Stewart, which would be early 69. Yeah, and, okay. of course, Andy Scott was their third guitarist, and he was the one known during their, their uh, fame years. Yep. So, yeah, they, they hadn't even gotten around to releasing their, their big first album and their, having their first single, Funny, from uh, Funny How Sweet Coco Can Be, which came out in 71. So, um, ah. Just starting out, yeah, you'll see in Zeppelin, they formed this year, just like Sweet, but they'll put an album out much, much quicker. Yes. <laughs> kind of like Deep Purple, because Deep Purple also yes. formed this year. Uh, coming yes, together in what, March, right? Under the name Roundabout, I think you said? Um, yeah, I think, I think they finished putting it together late February or early March. They, of course, they'd started, I think, closer to the end of 67, but um, they'd started trying to put the band together closer to that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, early 68, they, uh, yeah, where they, they finalized the first lineup as uh, initially as Roundabout. And then um, after playing, I think it was like four or five shows, they changed it to uh, Deep Purple, yeah. which I did. I did double check. And uh, because in the episode on Purple, you asked me about this. Richie Blackmore's grandmother 
what really liked the the old song deep purple and that was why he liked the the name as the name of the band cool that's actually very sweet <laughs> i see what you did there <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> uh, moving on <laughs> but yeah th- thanks for checking on that because i was kind of curious and i i kept forgetting to look myself <laughs> yeah uh so the other two bands we've talked about um iron maiden isn't even going to form for several more years in 75. Yeah. And, and at this point, only one of the members had been professionally active by 68. And this wasn't even a founding member. It was uh, Nico McBrain who joined in 82. Yeah. And then he'd just been playing in cover bands. And I, I think he just actually started playing in cover bands in so around the 67, 68 time. Probably. I'm not sure when he was born. I know Steve Harris would have been, Steve Harris was probably about nine years old. <laughs> <laughs> who is Iron Maiden's founding member. And, and then, of course, we have KISS, and they wouldn't yeah. form until 73. Uh, but they did, some of their members had been playing. Uh, for example, founding member Paul Stanley had been active since about 65, but pretty mm-hmm. much in, in cover bands. Yep. And, of course, he joined Rainbow in 70, which would become Wicked Lester in 70, 71. Yeah, and Gene was also part of the – I don't know about Rainbow, but I know he was, Gene was in Wicked Lester. Yeah, otherwise, uh, Bruce Kulik and Eric Carr were both active by this time. Uh, Bruce in yeah. 68 and Eric Carr in 65, respectively, but also mm-hmm. pretty much cover bands at this time. They just started. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, Ace and Peter, Ace Freely and Peter Chris also well, were doing that. Yeah, I've actually got a note here. The much maligned Peter Chris. <laughs> <laughs> he, he actually started earlier than any of them in 64, uh, various jazz yes. and rock bands, and he studied yeah. under respected band leaders. He's actually doing quite a bit. And he beat them all to the professional punch with Chelsea. Yes. Uh, and they actually put out a real album, not just uh, Wicked Lester's unreleased album, but Chelsea put out an album in 71. Yeah, yeah, they did. Um, I've, yeah. I've not heard it. I, have, I, have, I actually have a, <laughs> a bootleg copy of the Wicked Lester album. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> um, it's weird. <laughs> well, see, that's what I'm th- I've got a note here, too, and saying, yes, yes, Wicked Lester recorded an album later that year in November 71, but it was unreleased. Hells, I recorded a few albums worth of material. Does that count? <laughs> and the answer is no. No. <laughs> anyway, as we digress. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I do want to make one more quick note before we okay. really get into the, the bulk of the material. And sure. you'll see as we go through this, that you'll see different versions of the same story occur, especially by Jimmy. Yes. Um, so I'm, I'm not saying what he says should be taken with a grain of salt. Most people change their stories when storytelling evolves or they're just telling different, you know, whatever it is. So you, you factor in that and you factor in the interviewer and how they ask the question, how Jimmy responds and what the interviewer actually kind of understands it as and writes it down. Mm-hmm. And probably as important were the years of Jimmy's rampant drug use. <laughs> That, that can't help the old memory out. <laughs> no, just ask Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> uh, he, he, he won't be able to answer. <laughs> he, yeah, no. No, no in, in Ozzy's autobiography, he he starts it off by saying, I, this was written as I remember it. It may not be accurate. <laughs> yep, and, and Jimmy's been upfront about his drug use. It's not like it's a secret. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. But yeah, but this will be the case with all the members and all the episodes we do, so I, I'm not going to mention it. Okay. anymore <laughs> so uh, anyway welcome <laughs> finally to the actual episode and here again we're going to talk about the band members before they were blood zeppelin uh 
just going to briefly touch on their childhood and things, and uh, but not much. It'll be mostly when they're uh, working on their music. And as one big blank spot for Jimmy Page that we're going to gloss over now, it's his stint in the Yardbirds. Yes, uh, because that is in, in and of itself going to be multiple episodes. Yeah, from um, yeah. beginning with Eric Clapton to the end with Jimmy. Yeah. So there's going to be some overlap with Jimmy and the Yardbirds. And for example, Jimmy's first recording of White Summer appeared mm -hmm. on the 67 Yards Yardbirds release, Little Games. Yep. Uh, but things like this are going to overlap with Zepp's third album um, because of the acoustic, folklore type of Celtic type of style Jimmy used. Uh, yeah. Obviously with the first album and when they tour. And, you know, it's it, it, you'll see some overlap. Mm -hmm. And as a note, Jimmy based it off of Davy Graham's version of the Irish folk song, She Moved Through the Fair by Padre Colum. Yeah. I, I found that and I'm going to put that in there. <laughs> okay. As a heads up, the number of sources we've used for this specific topic are quite ridiculous in the number. Yes. Especially for a free podcast, fuckers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we have been reading all these since we were teenagers, so it's not really like it's a huge deal. <laughs> right. Um, the main reason I bring it up, though, isn't, you know, to, to try to scam money out of you all. That'll be in the future. <clears throat> yeah. And, uh, but I, I'm not going to pause every time I have a reference because that'll make everything overly academic and it'll just bog everything down. Uh, so I'll mm -hmm. put the book titles that we've used in the show notes. And Sounds on good. Facebook, there's already a picture of a fair bit of the magazines that I look through. Uh, so, yeah. So uh, I have a joke for you. Okay. And the reason I, I'm gonna, I may, I may laugh. You, you, you're probably not. <laughs> um, so because no, i wasn't start, it no, no. <laughs> oh, okay so cannibal goes to the cannibal restaurant and he's in the mood for musician brain, uh, brains and he looks through the menu and he's looking down and he sees vocalist brains ten dollars an ounce lead guitarist brains twelve dollars an ounce drummer brains thirteen dollars an ounce bassist brains $150 an ounce. It's like, holy crap to the waiter. Why the hell are bassist brains so expensive? Are they really that much more intelligent? He goes, no, it just takes so many bassists to get two ounces out of them. Ass. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to Jody Space Corner. <laughs> uh, no, I was, I, was, I was debating on if I should do the bass player or the lead guitarist as the butt of the joke. Uh, yeah, but since you do play bass, and I'm going to start with John Paul Jones. <laughs> so John Paul Jones, born John Baldwin, uh, he changed it to John Paul Jones by April '64 at the suggestion of the Stones manager Andrew Lou Goldham. Mm -hmm. um, but he uh, was born January 3rd, 1946, in Sidcup, Kent, a district of Southeast London. And uh, out of all the Zepp members, uh, Jones actually had the most musical immediate family. Uh, his father is a yeah. pianist and musical arranger for big bands in the 40s and 50s. His, mm -hmm. his uh, mother was a musician, too, and they would tour together. So Jones actually went to boarding school because they would not be around. Uh, but, but there he formally studied music as well. Yeah. He started playing piano at six, bass at 14. He joined his first band, the Deltas, at 15. Um, and instead of listing every damn band he was in, that's, that's too much. So I'm going to kind of yeah. skip and say his first notable bit was playing with the shadows uh, it was a very successful british group uh, and okay. 
we'll yeah. jump back to them in a second because that will overlap with Jimmy. But because right. of his stint with the Shadows, uh, Shadows member Tony Meehan recommended Jones to uh, be in a studio musician to do session work. And, and he was quite prolific at that. Yeah, he <laughs> did quite a bit of session work. A lot, yeah. Probably more than Jimmy Page did. Yeah, yeah, that, that was his main musical focus from 64 until 68. I mean, yeah, he arranged. Yeah. He didn't just play like Jimmy did. He actually did the arrangements, too. And uh, yeah. he played many instruments. I, I remember a story where he, um, he had started or, or was wanting to start with the electric bass, and his dad was... His his dad kind of poo pooed it, and he was like, Why? <laughs> that's, that ain't gonna go anywhere. Well, <laughs> <laughs> we'll come back to that with another member too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, later with the later Zep albums, you'll get to see Jonesy's ranging brilliance uh, because later yes. Jimmy takes sort of a backseat due, due to the drug use. Um, yeah but so that that'll be coming up but yeah you're right he was prolific he worked for uh, here's a handful of the artists he worked with because i'm not going to take an hour to list them all uh but, right. but some of the more fam <laughs> yeah, famous were stones herman's hermits donovan cat stevens dusty springfield rod stewart ah so roderick stewart sorry I uh didn't he work there. yeah i know <laughs> um what he worked with Jeff Beck too, didn't he? We're going to get to that too, but that's okay, a bigger well, note it's... later. <laughs> yeah. Duh. <laughs> yeah. So there, there's a I knew that. Yeah. <laughs> but you are correct. Foreshadowing. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Uh, and uh, he even worked on movie soundtracks now, um, which we could talk about yeah. later after Zep too. Okay, uh, cool. So, and I do have a neat quote here. Uh, is all this experience and his personality that would later cause David Grohl, ex-Nirvana, current Foo Fighters, he was in a band, Them Crooked Vultures, with Jonesy, yes. to say, John silently challenges everyone. His presence makes you play the best you can possibly play because you don't want to let him down. And if you can keep up, you're doing okay. I had not heard that before, but yes, <laughs> I would agree with that. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and Jones released his first single, Baja, in April 64 with the B-side of Foggy Day in Vietnam is produced by Andrew Luke Oldham. Jonesy worked a lot with Mickey Most, who Page, Jimmy Page also worked with, and you'll hear that name quite a bit in other episodes, especially with the Yardbirds. Yes. Which is why we're not going to... <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and just as a warning, when we do get to that, expect a lot of grumbling from at least one of us. Or maybe yes, both, but at least one of us. At least one of us <laughs> means two of us. <laughs> two of us is yeah. at least one. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, Mickey most is a poofter. <laughs> mumble, mumble, mother, mumble, mumble. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Moving on. And this is where we're going to jump back to The Shadows. Uh, their yeah. huge hit was in 63 with their song Diamonds. Uh, kind of a surprise hit. But this song featured Jimmy Page. Jimmy played, so the show, the, when they played the Diamonds, Jimmy wasn't the lead guitarist. He just did the uh, rhythm guitar behind, but he did so well uh, that this helped Pagey become coveted as a studio musician. And so this is how Jimmy yeah. also got into session work. And, yeah. and he too worked with the Stones, uh, them on Baby Please Don't Go, Tula Clark's Downtown, and, and I mean so many more. I had a, I, I've lost it, it, it it was on a hard drive that got fried, but I had a copy of her doing that song in German. 
Oh, nice. And, and that was that was the only reason I had it. Because I, I know the song. I mean, I've heard it several times. And it's, I mean, outside of the fact that Jimmy Page is on it, there's no reason for me to really listen to it. No, it's, it's happy <laughs> if you like that type of thing. But yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a straight up pop song and, and not my cup of tea. Yeah, but, but like Jonesy, uh, Jimmy's done so much session work. I, we're not going to list the ball because that would take too long. Yeah. In fact, Jimmy's played on so many. He's not sure how many and which ones. He's pretty sure he's been right. credited when he shouldn't be. He's pretty sure he should have been credited and wasn't. <laughs> yeah. And he talked about how when he first started doing session work, he'd go out and buy the single because it was fun and interesting. And then he was doing so much work that it wasn't cost effective to keep going out and doing that. So after a while he stopped. <laughs> um, but I will say yeah. he's a gentleman when he talks about these, when he talks about a session work with especially bands like the who and, and others who have a guitarist like Pete Townsend, who's popular. Mm -hmm. He's, yeah, he's very polite. He talks about only helping a bit underneath or wasn't even needed. And you know, he, he never tries to one up his fellow rock musicians. And, and, you know, I know, I know Townsend gets irritated with that. Um, Dave and Ray Davies from the Kinks get pissed off about it, I think. You know, because people, when people say that Paige played on these sessions, they, they, they tend to say that he played the solos. And, you know, like you're saying, Paige, he doesn't do that. You know, and, and, and in all honesty, most of those guys wouldn't have needed him to step in to do that. I mean, they were, they were good enough on their own. Yeah, they, they were fine. Yeah, Typically, I, I because of the engineer or their managers who just wanted a little more full sound. Yeah. And I know in the, in the, the episode on Deep Purple Mark One, we talked about uh, John Lord claimed to have played on the, the session for The Kinks You Really Got Me. I don't know if he really did play the piano on that or not. He just he claimed it. And he, he is also one of these people that claimed Jimmy Page played the guitar solo. But like James said, Page, Page said he did not do that. <laughs> And either way, I'm willing to go with Paige and let Pete have it. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I am too, you know, because I've, I've heard Pete play on later stuff. And, you know, like I said, he was good enough on his own. They wouldn't have needed Paige to actually yeah. come in and do the solos. And I can actually see Pagey doing a lot of rhythm here because when he's Zeppelin, yeah. he's the only guitarist and he does a great job of live and on albums layering lead and rhythm work. So he's obviously good at both. So yes. I mean, it's not like yeah. the rhythm work he did wasn't useful. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And speaking of Pagey, <laughs> uh -huh. uh, moving on. Pagey himself was born January 9th. So as we record this, that's just uh, three days away. Well, you know, yeah. much in the future. <laughs> uh, 1944 <laughs> in the West London suburb of Heston. He'd wanted to play guitar for some time and he kind of talks about it sort of being by Providence. There was a guitar left behind in the Epsom house that his family moved into in the early 1950s. Just a guitar there. And this guitar was a Fender style, uh, sort of a Fender knockoff, Futurama Grazioso. Hmm. And spelled G-R-A-Z-I-O-S-O. My hypothesis is that this may be a bit of where Zoso comes from. He may Could. have shortened Grazioso and called it, the, yeah, pull the Zoso out. Could be. I find that as relevant as anybody else's hypothesis. <laughs> and so help me baby Loki if I hear any motherfucker try to claim this now as of January 6, 2019, 1.40 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I'm going <laughs> to fucking rip your throat out, fuckers. You hear me? This is my hypothesis. Fuckers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you want to see a really neat video too, uh, Google 1957 BBC video of him playing as a young teenager. 
uh, skiffle song, Mama Don't Allow No Skiffle, around here. Yeah. And it's, it's just a 13-year-old pagey playing in a band, and he's interviewed after. The song's neat. After he talks about what he might do in school, which is biological research, yeah. which, which is actually backed up in interviews as an adult where he talks about enjoying biochemistry, and he might have done that. Wow. That uh, kind of goes along with Brian May, who is a has a PhD in astrophysics. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I don't want to talk about all the bands Jimmy played and toured with because, again, there are too many because he was in and out of a lot of them because he's well-known and, and wanted. Right. Uh, but the biggest one I want to kind of talk about is his stint with Neil Christian and the Crusaders. Now, mm -hmm. he recorded albums with them and toured with them, but he became extremely ill, and he thinks part of it was the horrible touring conditions and, and all the cold and everything. And uh, because of this, he actually put touring on hold, <laughs> put touring on hold for a while and went to art school, yeah. um, which goes with the art we're talking about and harkens back to our cultural watershed episode. Ha ha. Context. Yeah. Context. Ah, beer. Um, <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, this is where he's starting to do some of the artwork we just talked about. He would still play on stage with bands such as Alexis Corners Blues Incorporated and with fellow guitarists. Jeff Beck and Eric Clapton. We've both heard uh, there were some studio recordings that they did together. I think they were pretty much just jam sessions, but yeah, yeah, and they're pretty good. Yeah, they are. They are. Um, it, and and I don't know listening to him, I don't know how much is Jimmy on lead and how much is Clapton on lead, but yeah, um, yeah, it was it's some good stuff. And, and it's during this time that he recorded Diamonds with the Shadows that we talked about and. Soon put himself yeah. full-time into session work until he joined the Yardbirds, which is what we'll get into in uh, the Yardbirds episodes. Cool. Moving on to Robert Percy Plant. Uh, <laughs> Robert was born August 20th, 1948, uh, making him the, the youngest member of Zeppelin uh, by only a half a year or so. Yeah. Uh, he's born in the black country town of West Bromwich, Bromwich, Stadfordshire. Uh, his father wanted him to be an accountant. <laughs> Um, yeah, which we mentioned in the cultural watershed moment uh, episode and uh, another father who did not think rock and roll was going to be very good for his son, just like John Paul Jones. <laughs> but like Jonesy, uh, Plant did have music in his family. It just wasn't his parents. Uh, he had a great grandfather known for his work in the black country with the uh, brass bands. Uh, just the, the kind of like big bands, they'd sit and they'd play their brass instruments for people. Um, huh. and, and one of these bands was called the Dudley Drunken Band. And that may have helped Robert's perception of what music could do, because from what I understand, the band would get very, very, very drunk. <laughs> uh, Plant's uh, love of rock and roll began early. Uh, he talked about imitating Elvis Presley when he's 10 years old. He even found a spot between some curtains and a large French window because of the sound it would create. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Uh, later in his teens, he would start getting into the blues with artists such as Robert Johnson and Willie Dixon, which with Jimmy would influence Zeppelin sound. Yes. And it was yes, also yes. at this time that his love of British history would begin to really flourish, which we'll see in later Zeppelin lyrics that discuss history. <laughs> yeah. Immigrant song, for example. I mean, so many that I don't want to list them all, but yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause we got time to do that later. <laughs> yes. Yes, we do. <laughs> and uh, instead of listing all the bands Robert was in because he was in several too, I'm just going to mention the crawling King snakes because that also included drummer, John Bonham. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Bonham, Bonzo, born May 31st, 1948, in the Black Country area, same area of England as, as Robert. Um, yes, Redditch, 
also known as the Beast, um, after he'd had a few too many drinks. <laughs> yeah, bon- Bonzo was early drinking. <laughs> uh, the Beast more later drinking. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, he's born in uh, Worcestershire, England. Uh, began playing drums around 10 with the little snare drum. Uh, had a full drum kit by age 15. Joined the Blue Star Trio around 1962. Was his, yeah. his first band. And, and again, another person who had been in and out of all sorts of bands. So been playing with a lot of different bands and, and worked, you know, daytime as a carpenter where he gained the strength to smash the drums. Yes. Um, <laughs> Which and, is very important. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that in a few episodes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the bands included the Nicky James movement, the senators, um, mentioned the, the crawling King snakes. Uh, but, but even more, and, you know, it just take too long to, to go into all of those. So, uh, so I'm going to jump back real quick to the watershed episode that we've talked about a couple of times, um, where we discussed music and humor, uh, comedy, and how things at, at this point in time in the '60s were changing a lot. Yeah, Jimmy was once asked about his earliest rock and roll memories in conjunction with Britain still recovering from World War II, uh, which which we discussed in that episode, uh, and how the music that was coming over in the '50s. And he responded that his experiences were similar to what Keith Richards wrote about in Keith's autobiography and that they'd listen and learn from those recordings. Uh, But my favorite bit is the quote, this was the first generation that wasn't being conscripted into the army. It was a generation that was going to shape things with this freedom. And that matches quite well with our episode. So suck it. Ha ha. Well, and it does, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I read this quote in one of my many magazines well after we recorded that episode. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, 65, I don't really have a lot because they still weren't together and some of them weren't active a lot except for those few little bands that we've talked about that will go into a bit more detail here in a year. Yeah. Uh, but as far as 65 goes, just a couple things. In January... Uh, Petula Clark hit number one in the U.S. and number two in the U.K. for Downtown, which we discussed. Yeah. And that does feature Jimmy Page, uh, but also features Big Jim Sullivan, who was Big Jim of Big Jim and Little Jimmy, uh, the, yep. the two big guitar session musicians, but it also featured yeah. guitarist Vic Flick. I just like to mention that because he's the one who wrote the James Bond theme. Oh, okay. Cool. So whenever you hear me go, bum, bada, bum, 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 any of the episodes, <laughs> you can, you can yes. thank Vic Flick. Yeah, or we can curse him. You're welcome. <laughs> ah. And uh, the other neat thing about 65 is Jimmy, it, in his session, uh, plays the guitar solo on the Manish Boys song, I Pity the Fool, which has nothing to do with Mr. T. <laughs> I, I, I already I heard your brain working there. <laughs> I was going to say, because you know, everybody who grew up in the early 80s. <laughs> the Manish Boys song, I Pity the Fool. <laughs> Uh, this song was originally a blues song <laughs> recorded by Bobby Bland in 1961. Oh, yeah. But the neat thing about this is that the Manish Boys included vocalist David Jones, who would later become better known as David Bowie. Yes. And, and, and during, yes. during the session, Bowie utilized the guitar riff that Jimmy gave him for the songs The Superman and Dead Man Walking. Ah, cool. So, I don't know those songs. I, I don't either. I love David Bowie. I listen to him anytime he's on the radio, but I have never bought an album from him. Uh, I've got a couple. I think a Greatest Hits and one of his later albums. Uh, that's probably about it. But yeah, uh, definitely good stuff. Um, 
I wouldn't have bought it if I didn't think it was worth having. Anyway, that, that's that's all I have for uh, sixty five. <laughs> yeah, I well, yeah, I mean, well, no, like you said, I mean, there, there wasn't uh, Plant and Bonham were off doing, you know, the, playing in club bands and doing day jobs, and you know, they weren't really doing a whole lot. And you know, they're getting they're working on their chops and they're getting yeah. their, their musicality put together. But yeah, they weren't yeah they weren't really becoming famous or anything. Right, and yeah. Jones and and Page were both you know working studio musicians, and that's a in all honesty, that's a nine to five job, really. I mean, uh, we'll get to that in a little bit too with Jonesy. <laughs> when you say yeah. nine to five, you you may be underestimating. <laughs> well, I mean, it's yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure he was. Yeah, I'm sure he was burning the midnight oil too. Um, so sixty six. Yeah, I was gonna say. What about sixty six? Uh, a little bit more here. Uh, so nineteen sixty six, May fifth, four days after the last Beatles concert they held in Britain. Yeah. Robert Plant offers to take Roger Daltrey's place in The Who because he'd heard Roger quit the band. What he didn't realize was that each <laughs> band member would rotate quitting so much so that his offer was met with amusement because they all just argued and left and came back. In his <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I don't know how many times they each quit. <laughs> it was probably a daily occurrence at one point. Yes. Yeah, so that was May 5th. On May 16th... <laughs> <laughs> this is 66, and we'll probably also hit on this uh, with the Yardbird. So 11 days later is the recording of Beck's Bolero. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is during Beck's tenure with the Yardbird. So this is just a little side solo thing. And, and we'll talk more about that in the Yardbirds. Uh, but it did include musicians Jimmy Page, who also gets credit with writing the song, mm-hmm. uh, John Paul Jones, Keith Moon from The Who, and Nicky Hopkins, keyboardist, who, who played yeah. with the Stones and the Kings and the Who and others. Mm-hmm. And this occurred during one of the times where Keith Moon had quit the Who <laughs> due to internal <laughs> issues. <laughs> so, so 11 days after Daltrey had quit, Keith Moon had quit. quit. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and he discussed forming a band with the others there, although he wanted John Entwistle from the Who to be the bass player because John yeah. and Keith were having issues with the Pete <laughs> Roger. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, can't imagine know. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Inwistle, uh, from what I've read, was actually supposed to be the bassist, but when he didn't sh- show up, Jonesy sat in. Yeah, and and Jimmy I, I actually heard that too. Yeah. yeah, and Jimmy actually said that he thought it was going to be Jones instead of Inwistle and Moon and Hopkins and Beck and and himself. Uh, and mm-hmm. I don't think Keith Moon even mentioned Nikki Hopkins. Jimmy mentions Nikki, and they thought of various singers. And this is important because. Well, there, there are two good stories here, and one will repeat in the Yardbirds, but one was uh, Steve Winwood, they thought of being a vocalist, but he was in traffic, forming traffic at the time. And okay, another yeah. was Steve Marriott of Small Faces. Oh, okay, okay, and, yeah. And Marriott's manager, Don Arden, threatened Moon by saying it wouldn't be easy to play music with broken fingers. <laughs> and that, and, yeah, that very much is a Don Arden quote. And just for the record, Don Arden is the father of Sharon Ar- Arden, who, uh, better known now as Sharon Osborne. Yes, that's that's where she yeah. gets some of her. That's uh, where she gets management, all of her management <laughs> skills. Yeah. And, yeah. and you will hear Pagey talk about Don Arden threatened Paige's fingers, saying you can't play guitar. Yeah. And, and Jimmy, in two different interviews I've read, Jimmy says it's him. Jimmy says it's Keith. <laughs> Either way, it's true. If you break your fingers, drummers or guitars can't do that well. Yeah. <laughs> Which actually is something we will discuss later in Led Zeppelin. 
it's here, and this is where the whole thing is a, really leads into Zeppelin. It's here that Moon joked about the band being called Led Zeppelin because it would go over like a fucking lead balloon. Yes. Yeah. Although Jimmy did describe the session as absolutely magnificent, like a force of nature. So there's some good chemistry there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So one, one more thing on Don Arden that actually ties into this whole Zeppelin thing. Um, and maybe jumping ahead a little bit here, but one of the guys who worked for Don Arden, uh, partially as a driver and I think partially as a road manager. So he would, so, you know, Don Arden managed all these different artists and this guy would go out, he would drive the artists around and would handle stuff on the road for them, uh, was Peter Grant, who will later become the manager of the Yardbirds and eventually Led Zeppelin. Yes, he will. Also in 66 in June, uh, Jimmy Page joins the Yardbirds as the bassist. And of course, we'll hit more on that bigger when we do the Yardbirds episodes, but uh, another instance uh, where they record happenings 10 years time ago, and we'll, we'll say this again. <laughs> yeah. But, but it was recorded with Page and Beck on guitars and John Paul Jones on bass. Yeah. Yes, it was. It's so kind sounds, of a proto-Zeppelin right there. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, also this year, uh, Sunshine, sun, sh- I can never say it, Sunshine Superman by Donovan. Oh, by Donovan, yeah. 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 Scottish Great Art song. Donovan. Oh, Great I, song. I like this one. Yeah. Uh, it's number one September 3rd of this year in the U.S. and number two in the U.K. And I mention it because he'll come up soon but also supposedly features Jimmy Page, but this is one where Jimmy isn't 100% sure. <laughs> ah, okay. I mean, he, he says some articles he says he is, some he says he's not sure, some, yeah, it's, yeah, Jimmy played so many that it, it would be hard to keep up. I mean, even if he stayed drug-free the whole time, I can't imagine he would remember every one. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, unless he's got, you know, this, this, the, the paperwork from the studio showing specifically that he played on it. Yeah, no, <laughs> there's, there's going to be questions. <laughs> and to round out 66, uh, October 20th, Robert Plant's band, Listen, so one of Robert's bands, uh, opened for Cream at the youth club in Willenhall, St. Giles. Cool. Kind of neat that Robert got to open up for Cream. And yeah. uh, on a, another neat sort of note, uh, on the bill also were the in-betweens, which was Naughty Holder's band that would later change their name to Slade in 69. Slade, yeah. And uh, they had a big influence on the glam rock scene. And listen yes. to the sweet episode for more information on glam rock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and whose songs Come On, Fill the Noise, and Mama, We're All Crazy Now, were big hits for glam metal band Quiet Riot in the 80s. Yes. I got a story about that, but I won't tell it here. Okay. Yeah, we'll save that for <laughs> the glam episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, but on a, a related note, Naughty also used to drive Robert Plant around in his dad's van for their concerts. In Naughty's dad's van or in Robert's? Yes, Naughty would drive Naughty's father's, Naughty would drive Robert around in Naughty's father's van. <laughs> and it was going to make it worse if I said Naughty's daddies, <laughs> which is better than being driven around by daddy's Naughty's. <laughs> Gonna let that sink in as we go uh, on to 67. <laughs> Ew. At least that's better than saying as we go into 69. <laughs> Ew. 67. Spring of 67. Woohoo! Uh, don't have exact dates, but in the spring, Robert Plant starts growing his hair out, uh, putting together a new band as his solo career wasn't taking off as he wanted. There's not a lot of information on Robert's solo career. He he was liking to have a wonderful voice and people thought he'd do well as a solo artist. So CBS did sign him. 
Yeah, I was going to say he did a single. Yeah, a three. Uh, he three, okay. uh, released three singles through CBS in 67, the first being Our Song, uh, then I've Got a Secret, and the last one was Long Time Coming. But they, they just weren't doing really all that good. Yeah. Uh, but this band he, he put together was the Band of Joy, which is not the same Band of Joy that they just released an album of a few years ago, Robert, <laughs> which I do believe we have bitched about in a previous episode as well. I believe so too. So I will not go further, but. <laughs> well, and that, that band of joy is no longer, at least no longer touring with him. Um, he's got a completely new backing band. So. Yeah. He's, he's had several backing bands in the past decade, but he just likes doing different things. Yeah. I get that. Hell, anybody he plays with probably gets to go on and do better things because they did play with Robert. So. Yeah. Huh. So anyway, the band of joy, it did include Maureen's cousin on guitar and Maureen who's, whom he will marry the following year in 68 have a couple of children with and she'll be mentioned in zeppelin episodes yes but after fighting with the manager who was keyboardist chris brown's father plant was sacked and went back to laying work uh went to work laying tarmac uh, where his co-workers dubbed him the pop singer <laughs> tarmac uh, which by the way was invented by a scottish scientist engineer Woohoo! better From scotland you, Yes, you'll, if you read the book, How Scots Invented the Modern World, you can learn about tarmac. <laughs> but you're here to know that also in this area, he was also known as the wild man of the blues from the black country due to his hair and voice. Yes. Plant would later restart the Band of Joy, again, like a, a second version of Band of Joy, which would include drummer John Bonham. Yeah. And uh, during this time, the band opened for American artist Tim Rose who would ask Bonham to be his drummer when Rose came back to tour Britain in 68. So we'll, we'll kind of touch on that again coming up, but that, that's how okay. they interact. Yeah. So, I was, I was going to say, I knew, um, God, as soon as you, as soon as you said that name, I went, wait a minute, didn't yeah. Bonham play with him too? Yeah. <laughs> this is where Bonham met and this is where Tim Rose saw how good Bonham was. But at the time Bonham was with Robert's band of joy. And, uh, as a note, because this episode is heavy on talking about past episodes. Yes. Around this time, Plant had also been working at the Woolworths, like a five and dime thing, which we even had when we were kids, in Halsewin, a town we mentioned in the folklore that inspired Barbara Plant episode. So Cool. <laughs> and, 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 and what a coincidence. Yes. Just, just a slight. <laughs> it's not like we're not going to bring it up again several yeah. times in the yeah, upcoming yeah. episodes. <laughs> Uh, anyway, to finish up 67 in July, as, as yeah. just mentioned, Robert records his last single for CBS, Long Time Coming. And I just want to point out that it was Plant's contract with CBS that kept him from getting credit on Zeppelin's debut record in 68. Everybody oh, likes yeah. to blame Jimmy Page and say that Jimmy was stingy with the credit, but... I, see, that I never... If you look at their later albums, Robert gets credit you know, on practically everything. Yeah. Yeah, Plant was under contract, so he could not get credit. Hey, this is James jumping in. In order to keep this at the usual normal length of around 30 to 45 minutes, we're going to stop here at 67, even though we have the rest recorded. Uh, but then we'll come back next week when we talk about the 68. And we'll finish up Pre-Zep Zeppelin then, and you'll get all the uh, fun after pieces with the humor and jocularity. Uh, but since Joni and I mentioned a couple of the songs that Eric Clapton and Jimmy Page did together. Uh, Freight Loader. Freight Loader is the one I know. Okay. That's the one that's familiar and, to me. Yeah. And then Choker. I may have all those songs, actually. 
I, I may, but I'm, I'm, I know I know freight loader. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's just uh, pretty much, they're just little blues jams that, cause, cause I think, you know, Paige had access to the studio being a studio musician and, you know, Clapton just came in and jammed with him for a little bit, you know, every once in a while. And, and since we have purchased them and this is a creative commons type of thing where we're not actually making money off of it, we thought we would share uh, a fair bit of both songs. First up is Clapton and Page and Choker. Clapton and Page and Freight Loader. next week with the rest of Prezep Zeppelin when we talk about 1968. The Macabre Manor is brought to you by the Twin Terrors. All rights reserved.